When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and really doesn't function well in the heat. I'm Kevin Day and he is the coolest man on the planet, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, seriously, Kieran, if, this, if it's this hot on Saturday before the Palace game, I may have to drink something other than Guinness. Well, Kieran, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you, you may notice we're both a bit giggly it's because we've had a 10-minute <laughs> childish boys gossip session before we started <laughs> uh, Guy, put some ice on your ears it'll be fine <laughs> um, It's Newsday, Kieran and speaking of shenanigans in the heat extraordinary scenes at the start of the Brazil-Argentina game when a couple of Brazilian health officials obviously enjoying themselves very much marched onto the pitch and, and stopped the match Yes, spectacular work from the clipboard kids in yeah. <laughs> uh, in Brazil. They really have surpassed themselves with regards to uh, not allowing the Argentinian players to play. Uh, a lot of politics involved in South American sport. Mm. Uh, but I think there's a much broader issue arising here with, uh, uh, with, with, with relating to COVID and club versus country versus FIFA in terms of power broking. Mm. Uh, what will the financial ramifications be? Because presumably there will be some. Um, well, as the match was abandoned, it, it could be that uh, there will have to be a rebate given to the TV authorities. Uh, the commercial sponsors will be cheesed off. Uh, FIFA normally gives some form of financial recompense as to national associations for for clubs and players um so we'll have to have to wait and see um but it does look as if uh, fifa have now uh started to take it up with the clubs who not not relating to the players who were who actually physically turned up because they appear to have turned up the, the argentinian players turned up without permission of their clubs but for those players where the, the Premier League could flexed its muscles and said that um, they were not going to be able to attend. So what we've now seen has is FIFA have turned around and says, well, hold on, we are the governing body of football. You cannot, as the Premier League, make a unilateral rule and uh, forbid players from representing their country, as appears to have been the case. 
and um, therefore it has invoked a uh, uh, a ban on the players for for five days, which will mean that uh, I think Leeds, Manchester City, and Liverpool in particular will be unable to play players such as Allison and Edison uh, in this weekend's fixtures. Well, this is where the politics comes into it, as you say, because uh, Brazil apparently put pressure on FIFA for that to happen. But Richarlison will be playing for Everton because Brazil said we don't mind Richarlison playing because Everton let him play for us during the Olympics, which already there's an exception to the rule. Just in terms of finances, Kieran, which is obviously what we're here to concentrate on, um, you, you say that the Villa and Spurs players went without permission of their club, but notwithstanding that, there's a very clear Premier League diktat that no Premier League players were to go to uh, red list countries. And two players from Villa and two from Spurs did exactly that. So will there be a fine, a financial penalty for those for those two clubs, even if they claim they didn't know the players were doing it? And also, if the players acted so clearly in breach of their contracts, will they not be fined by the clubs as well? Um, I, I, I think this one has got uh, some legal ramifications. The, the PFA might decide that uh, as far as the players were concerned, they were entitled to represent their nation and therefore the clubs trying to prevent them would mean that the clubs uh, would be in breach of contract. So mm. if, if the clubs try to find the players, uh, I, I can I can see the players' representatives turning around and saying, well, that's not acceptable. Now, how far they decide to take this, because remember the players want to play for the clubs as well because they're on bonuses for appearances and so on. So it could get it could get very narky between the the two parties. Um, the Premier League conceivably could find the clubs who uh, for for not having control of their players, but that in itself seems very harsh. You know, if if you or I are in employment, what what we do in our own time is, is to a large extent, you know, down to our decision making process rather than that of our employer. Um, and you know what what you do in your own times, your own business, and, and how can they be expected to uh, be acting in in a Big Brother format, uh, especially during an international break? Yeah, I'm doing most of my work from home at the moment, Kieran. So it's very much down to me how I use my time. <laughs> uh, mainly two hours of panic at the end of the day, um, and also it's not helped, is it? This situation, if it was Brazil and any other club, or Argentina and any other club, but th- these are two these are two countries that will waste no opportunity to to snipe at each other will they no there there's uh there is history you know they, they both of them see themselves as the top dog of south american football and uh with the argentinian players appearing to be in breach of of brazilian's covid rules um it it, it gave them a perfect opportunity i mean the timing was spectacularly crass um yeah so so why they why they allowed the players to effectively to line up before uh, mm. making this this grandstanding uh, ban uh, is uh, it, it it's it, it's superb nonsense in in some ways um and and we like nonsense in football yes we do and and just so we don't disappoint some of our more childish fans Kieran would you like to throw in a manscaped brazilian reference um domestic matters kieran and um a couple of clubs that have been on our list for some time uh, one more so than other but let's hold them back for the moment 
Bolton Wanderers have avoided EFL sanctions and a transfer embargo two years after the takeover by Football Ventures. Yes, um, under the EFL rules, and uh, yeah, I, I think these rules do do make a lot of sense. Um, you you have to settle when there's a takeover of a club that's been in administration. You've got to settle all of your football debts, and football debts mm. are amounts owed in terms of transfers and to uh, uh, players mm. and, and uh, other other such institutions. Um, but you then have people who are referred to as unsecured creditors. These are people and companies who have supplied the football club in good faith with goods and services. Um, now, under general legislation, they could end up getting nothing. They could end up getting something. You know, it's because there's there's no other way of uh, of divvying up the money. <laughs> under the the football rules uh, of the EFL, you've got to uh, pay your unsecured creditors twenty five percent of what is owed to them uh, within two years, and and that two year anniversary was rapidly approaching. So it looks as if football ventures have found the money and they found it by the end of August uh, 2021 because the alternative was a potential 15-point penalty, mm. um, clearly which you know, the club was desperate to avoid. Um, the, the unanswered question is how have they mm. found that money? Yeah. Um, you know, has the money been borrowed? Uh, fo- football ventures have put out a sort of fairly detailed explanation. They say that, that the club is not at risk. Um, I believe that some of the money has been borrowed and, and – yeah, you know, I've, I've always said there's, there's nothing wrong with debt. It's it's servicing the debt and making sure that you have sufficient resources to to make the payments on the due dates. That's the issue. So, uh, you know, we we have to take uh, football ventures comments in, in good faith. Uh, Bolton have a very big fan base. You know, they, they've made a. Uh, they, they made a pr- pretty impressive start to the season uh, in terms of the numbers of people who are who are attending, um, and and they take huge numbers away as well. So so that's that's where we are. Um, you know, fingers crossed that uh, you know, the the club does continue to progress because um, they they went through a really torrid time under uh, the. Uh, former owner Ken Anderson uh, a man who was previously banned from being a director of any company in the uh, in in the UK for I think a period of around about seven years um, and uh, he used to boast that he uh, he never paid himself a salary and that boast is is entirely correct however uh, both he and his son extracted large sums of money from the club via consultancy fees, which uh, I think is indicative of uh, the uh, the nature of the man. And, and, and I'm not going to call him a wrong one, uh, mainly due to the fact that I don't want producer guy to get into it. <laughs> yeah, let's not be cynical about this, Kieran. Even, even I know the difference between a salary and a consultancy fee that's paid on a regular annual basis into your private bank account. Um, so that's that's good news, Kieran, for one team in white shirts and dark blue shorts. Um, uh, less good news, I'm afraid, for another team in white shirts and dark blue shorts. And, and <laughs> you know where we're heading, Kieran. We're on that road again <laughs> to the East Midlands. Uh, we might, I've, you and I might as well just move there. Be much I don't actually. There's no logic to that, is there, Kieran? These days, <laughs> these days of the internet. Um, not two weeks ago, Kieran, you told me that Derby County and the EFL have had a rapprochement. They're talking again, and now I'm told 
by Guy uh, and his half-assed script. I think, Guy, <laughs> I, think, I think Guy may have been drinking this week when he sent this the script. But now I'm told that a fifth charge, a fifth charge has been added to Derby's crime sheet. That's, that's not the good news that we were talking about two weeks ago, Kieran, is it? No, no. I mean, you know, I think the the chat we had two weeks ago was was broadly on the lines of can the dispute between Derby and the EFL and for EFL read most of the other clubs in the championship, can that be mm. resolved without having to go through a formal charge and defence procedure, which could be very time consuming and costly? Um, but uh, you know the the EFL, who with whom we have, we, we are even we even we are trying to have a good relationship with these days. Yes. Um, although uh, we're well, one know. of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, although you know, if if, if they if they you know, carry on saying things like that, yeah, if, they, if, if they if they want to encourage journalists to not talk to me, that's that's their prerogative. Um, not that I'm not that I'm sore about it. Um, but the, the issue here is that the EFL now has on the, the governance part of its website um, an embargoes page. And this, this is great. Yeah, this, I'm, I'm all for transparency. And mm. there are currently 12 charges against a variety of clubs uh, throughout the 72 clubs in the EFL. Five of those charges relate to Derby County. Right. And it, it was historically uh, that they'd not provided accounts, they'd not published accounts, there were defaults of money due to uh, the, the tax authorities, they'd not submitted audited accounts as well. And then, lo and behold, uh, a few days ago, up pops um, another issue is that they, according to the charge, or according to the, the issue here, is that they are in default of transfer fee payments. And people might be saying to themselves, hold on. They've not been able to sign any players for a transfer yeah, fee because exactly. they're under a transfer embargo. But I suspect um, that this relates to um, the fact that they have historically bought players on an instalment basis. So it um, could be that some of the instalments due on outstanding transfers have not been paid. And uh, the the club, which was due receipt, has presumably contacted and complained to the EFL um, and and this has brought a a, a further uh, a further appearance on the naughty step um, of of the uh, of the EFL, and you can understand that because you know, it, it's a football debt. The the club sold the player in presumably in good faith and, and was expecting the payments to be received on the due dates. Mm. Was that a naughty step sound effect you did? Naughty step stroke wonky chomp. Uh, sound effect, I would describe it as. Yes, that was a, that was a big wonky jump. Um, <laughs> one day we should start explaining. We should do notes for new listeners, shouldn't we? Really, yes. so if they're going to confuse them. Do you know what, Kieran? We, you know, we we joke about the amount of times we mentioned Derby County, but we have been talking about them since the second or third pod, and it's 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 relentlessly bad news for. For Derby, and I'm, I'm starting to worry that there's no light at the end of this tunnel, is there? At the moment, for Derby County, is, is there any glimmer of hope you can give to Derby fans at all? Well, um, they haven't had a points deduction. They still are in the championship. They have made a a reasonable chance start to the season with the uh, which with the players that they were allowed to recruit. So, I think those are. 
positives. Uh, I mean, I, I think I've said myself that the best way to negotiate the sale of the club is to keep it private. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mistakes that they've made in terms of the, the Middle East takeover and the, uh, was it was Eric Garcia or whatever, no, not Eric Garcia, Eric Alonso, Eric Alonso um, yeah. uh, didn't, didn't paint the club in a particularly good light. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to do a deal, just get it done, sign off on the paperwork, get it approved and th- then take the plaudits. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, the issues. You know, Mel Morris has has underwritten substantial losses. It's clear that he wants out. Um, I think some of the steps which he's taken have not necessarily painted him in a particularly positive manner. Um, and of course, there are there are other clubs in the Championship and elsewhere in the EFL who are unhappy at what they perceive as as Derby getting away with it, but mm. they, they've successfully defended the charges to date. Mm. Well, if Derby are the championship club we mentioned most, at the moment, Newcastle United are the Premier League club we mentioned most, and they've issued a statement to fans explaining their summer transfer window strategy. It's a bit of an odd one, this, Kieran, isn't it? Um, yes. Uh, in, in terms of Newcastle, they, they signed Joe Willock, you know, for twenty million pounds, there, there are clubs that had a, a lower spend, um, but this is a classic case of lies, damned lies, and statistics. Um, the the uh, publication of this statement on the club website said, "This is how much money we've spent since I think it was January twenty nineteen, and, and indeed they they have spent some money since then." But if you take a look at the if you if you go back a you know a further couple of years they they'd spent nothing or next to mm. nothing so you know it, the, the trouble with numbers um when, when you're making a quotation it all depends on when you start and when you finish and uh newcastle's investment in in, in player recruitment has been modest it, it, it's it, it's not the bottom uh, of clubs in the premier league and I, and I want to stress that um, but uh, I think their claims that uh, you know, all good now, you know, we're, we're, we're splashing the cash, um, is uh, is uh, a little uh, a little manipulated in terms of you know the, the, the chosen dates. Um, but again, you know, I've said this: if if you were if you were selling something, the last thing you're going to do before you leave is in put stick in a new kitchen and and, and give the whole house a lick of paint because somebody else is going to benefit from that. And, and Mike Ashley has been in the process of selling Newcastle United uh, or trying to sell Newcastle United now for two or three years. And therefore, he's, his mentality is, what is the bare minimum I can get away with um, until that sale date? Because every pound I spend is... Uh, you know, a pound wasted. You know, provided we, you know, his his objective is to finish seventeenth in the Premier League each season. He'll point out that last season they finished twelfth, and, and therefore, you know, what? Why are people moaning? Uh, because he's he has lost interest in in Newcastle United. That that is fairly evident, mm. especially if you take a look at the infrastructure spend at the club, um, and he wants all of those costs to be picked up by the new owner. Well, I was about to pick up on that infrastructure cost and the the lick of paint comment, as you say, because we've seen several threads recently from Newcastle fans with umpteen photographs of of shabby bits of St James's Park 
uh, I believe this, this same pigeon has been there for two years. Yes. Uh, dead, by the way, not just patient, <laughs> not just patient. But, um, so, yeah, we've seen a number of those. So it's quite clear he's not spending money on, on what is a brilliant, iconic ground. But yesterday, Kieran, I noticed um, hashtag Newcastle takeover was trending mightily. Was that because of a tweet that you sent about Saudi ownership of a, a, a Newcastle-based company? Um, I, I did. I did find that something had changed with regards to a uh, a, a I think it's called NUSA uh, investments or something similar. Um, and there does appear to, that, that that company is now uh, directly controlled by Saudi PIF Public Investment Fund. Um, whether you can then take a leap of faith, and I think it would have to be a leap of faith to say that the there is progress with regards to the Newcastle takeover, I, I think is probably pushing it. It was just a, you know, I, I monitor two or 300 companies, uh, you know, not just the, the football clubs themselves, but the clubs that own the football clubs mm. and quite often the people that own the, the clubs that own the football clubs. Yeah, so I, I try to get as much data as we can. Um, so something has changed. Can we draw any conclusions from this? I, I, I don't think so. It, it could be linked to another investment of this particular entity. So unfortunately, for, for the purposes of Newcastle fans, I, I can't offer you any comfort. Uh, is it a change? Yes. Uh, is, is change the same as improvement in terms of chances of the takeover? No. Mm. Leicester City have rolled over their loan from an Australian bank that you've never been particularly fond of. Um, yeah, well, this is uh, this, this is uh, you know what 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 many clubs are doing. Uh, Sheffield United had a, had got a similar relationship. This is a this is a bank called Macquarie, uh, known as the Vampire Kangaroo, due to. Uh, I, think, I think it's fair to say that its uh, ethical and moral compass is uh, not necessarily pointing north in terms of some of the deals <laughs> it's had historically. Uh, yeah, and, and let's be honest, uh, yeah, bank, banks aren't interested in football. Banks are interested in making money. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, uh, you know, if, uh, if anybody wants to investigate further, just, just, just look up Macquarie and Vampire Kangaroo. And Goldman and Vampire Squid, um, and you see the. Uh... <laughs> can I just, sorry, Kieran? Can I just double check here? They, they don't call themselves the Vampire Kangaroo, do they? Because that would be ballsy branding, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, you know, for Australians, I, I think I'm surprised that they don't call themselves that because, given the the lack of subtlety uh, in, in in sort of uh, sort of Aussie branding, I, I think it's it's the way to go. Uh, but yeah, they uh, I, I think it irks them slightly uh, to be called that. So. Uh, that's why I keep calling them that. Yeah, uh, but I, 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 it, it wasn't. I, I wasn't the first person to call them that. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough. Um, but the, the the nature of of what we have here, it's um, and some people will get upset. It's it's a glorified form of payday loan in the sense that football clubs have guaranteed money coming in at future dates from the Premier League in terms of their entitlement to broadcast uh, revenues if the worst happens also parachute payments so so what happens is the bank says you are due to receive a minimum of say 60 million this summer 
20 million in December, another 20 million in in March. Tell you what, we'll give you a sizable amount of that now. And when you get the money from the Premier League, you just transfer that straight across to us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, th- this is the, the, I think the official name for this is uh, you know, invoice factoring or, you know, some, some uh, you know, middle management blue sky weekend away uh, uh, term. But it's, it's, it's the equivalent of a payday loan. Uh, mm-hmm. In the sense that you, you've got money coming in at the future, and you use that get that guaranteed revenue uh, to to generate a loan. Now, um, nothing wrong with it. Benefits in terms of cash flow. Leicester have invested in in their infrastructure. Yeah, they're, they're expanding uh, the stadium. They they've got an absolutely superb uh, training facilities uh, set up. So you know, that has to be funded from somehow. So the, so that's the nature of the relationship. Um, but we are seeing more and more of these uh, types of of borrowing because the the conventional banks are a bit twitchy about lending to football clubs because mm. if, if, the, if, if the loan starts to turn a bit sour, um, if, if you're the local branch manager of you know, Lloyd's or Barclays and so on, you become public enemy number one uh, if, you, uh, if, you, if you try to call in the loan with the fan base. If, if you're one of these types of banks, you know, you're international investment banks, but, um, then they've got the yeah they they've got the cojones which are made of steel you know that they've got they they are bulletproof they they, they simply don't care they just want the money This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by The Price of Football online course hosted by our very own Kieran Maguire. Kieran tell us more Well Kevin um it's some friends of mine who who couldn't afford the Swiss Ramble so therefore, they decided instead to create the Price of Football course. Uh, so it's a six-week online course starting on the 20th of September. And it's been designed for anybody who wants to potentially get a career in the football industry through a combination of quality education, uh, but also networking. It's really important that you get to know people in the industry because it is a small industry. So it includes six hours of weekly study material and a 90-minute mentoring session every week on topics like governing bodies, clubs and investors. I might manage to sneak a bit about amortisation in about it as well. Um, so they've asked me to be one of the tutors. So uh, you will see me or perhaps hear me, hear me uh, or failing that, perhaps they'll see and hear Finlay. Um, and you'll also get the option to attend the, the World Football Summit in Madrid, though I suspect that will be virtually. It sounds wonderful, Gary. It does sound genuinely interesting. Um, and a very good way to launch your career. I also like the fact that you're more likely to be tutored by Finlay than you are by me. Um, <laughs> if, if you are listening to this and you'd like to launch your career in the football industry with Kieran, and who better, let's face it, to help launch your career in the football industry, head to www.sportstalentnetwork.com for more information. And I also believe you can get an early bird 33% discount at the moment. So go to www.sportstalentnetwork.com to sign up. Um, and perhaps I'll see you on the course and Finley as well. A number of small businesses, Kieran, self-employed people, comedians, um, in, in short-term need of money, will go to the bank and say, can you help me? Uh, I've got these jobs coming up, this guaranteed in- income. And, of course, what the bank does is then they ask your agent or they ask the production company you're working for to give them some proof that you are, in fact, going to be earning this money. Yeah. Would, would, would a vampire kangaroo bank 
ask the Premier League? Would they double check that this this is the amount of money that they will be getting at a certain date, or is it? Yeah, you know, is the Premier League such a reputable name that the bank just go? Well, of course they're getting that money. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the, if you if you take a look at the um, paperwork involved in these documents, um, normally there is a letter which gets sent to the Premier League, which effectively says, "Yeah, we, we now have this relationship between Leicester City and Macquarie, or it could be Santander, or it could, yeah, it could be any, it could be another mm-hmm. institution." Um, and uh, you know, the, the Premier League is fine with this. I mean, you know, the Premier League is uh, is is a, is a copper bottomed organisation in the sense right. that mm-hmm. it's got these long term broadcasting arrangements. Which which have guaranteed sums of money. Well, okay, it 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 takes a lot of doing this, Kieran. But Oldham's owners have managed to alienate their fan base even further. And when, <laughs> we saw we saw a lot of tweets about this, Kieran. I, I decided it was prudent to not follow my usual practice of liking every tweet I get because <laughs> on second reading, some of them probably. Uh, well, I understand the sentiment didn't necessarily approve of the wording, but yes, it's 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 taken a. A sadder twist to the Oldham story, hasn't it? And and again, I worry that suddenly this Oldham story has really gathered a momentum that it didn't have two weeks ago. Yes, um, there has been um, an open letter on the club website from Abdallah Lentzagam, the the former agent who who acquired. Uh, Oldham Athletic when I think they think they're in League One at the time mm. with with the claim that uh, I'm going to take you to the Championship I'm going to get you out of this division mm. well the, the second part of that <laughs> uh, claim uh, has sadly been uh, proven to be correct and it you know the, the, the club's in genuine danger of of dropping out of the EFL they made a a pretty appalling start to the season it's been really yeah. tough for, for Keith Curl to recruit players because. They they are also under sort of you know, broad observation by the EFL with regards to their finances. Um, Abdallah Lentzagam he's, he's got through nine nine managers in four years. Paul Scholes was was briefly there, and Paul Scholes for people that, that aren't aware was you know grew up as an Oldham Athletic fan. Um, uh, you know he, he's from from that part of of Manchester. Uh, have, have I told you the story when we when we played cricket against Scholes when he was fifteen? No. Oh right, yeah. He was. Uh, uh, we, we were playing in the South Lancashire League, mm. uh, and our opening batsman had who's, got. Who's we? Who's we, Kieran? Uh, I used to play for Trafford. Oh okay. Um, so yeah, we, we, uh, our opening bat had got to 199 not out <laughs> in, in the final over. Nobody in the history of the South Lancashire League had ever scored a double century because it was a 40 over match, and uh, he. Uh, he pushed a ball out into the covers and uh, was raising his bat. We were all, you know, everybody was cheering him from the uh, from uh, from the observation posts, you know, from dotted around the ground. And Scholes ran in from uh, cover um, and threw down the stumps whilst the whilst the bat was in the air and ran him out from 199. And we, of course, wet ourselves laughing. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's indicative of the competitive nature of Paul Scholes, even at the age of 15. And he was a damn good cricketer as well, but United, uh, you know, was, uh, United then said, "Paul, uh, okay, uh, we're we're not going to allow you to play cricket anymore." Yeah, I, I was, that's, a, that's a brilliant story. I was rather hoping it ended with Paul Scholes taking him out of the knee, uh, <laughs> and then doing that innocent look while the commentator said, "Well, he's not that sort of player normally. Yes, he is. Every second <laughs> <Yes>. game." <laughs> 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 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Um, so um, th- there's also a, a bunch of um, Oldham fans called the uh, the Athleticos, who are you know similar to the Ultras that you've got at Palace, and and we could see at other clubs, and they mm. yeah you know, they're trying to make more noise and uh, you know try to give the club support, um, but they've not been impressed with uh, Mister Lempsigam, and they've had uh, uh, a number of banners. But those banners and uh, and flags have now been banned by the club. Mm. Uh, as a result of that, the Atleticos have said, "Well, if, that, if you want to be like that, uh, we we're going to boycott uh, attending the club." Um, and it did mean that uh, apparently, when uh, I think they, they they played at the weekend and lost four or five nil at home, mm. um, there were other flags and banners from non-Atleticos. So you know, there was a pitch. There's been pitch invasions. Uh, the, the the fan base are very concerned, and uh, I, I believe that uh, in this open letter, yeah, uh, Lemsigam has said that he's he wants he's keen to open a dialogue, and he's doing all of these positive things. Uh, his his brother effectively runs the club, uh, sort of more on a yeah, on a, on a day to day basis, and I, I think his, his brother was in the uh, director's box and. Uh, got a lot of abuse and and yeah you know, what what I'd always say to fans is keep on the right side of things because mm. you can get an awful lot of public support you know be be smart in the way you know the the lobbing of tennis balls onto the onto the pitch yeah that's great i think the you know Charlton mm. fans did fans did the same with rubber ducks mm. you know come up with schemes which will win you the public relations war uh so you know I, and you know i'm i i've 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 been involved in pitch invasions when when we had problems at brighton uh back in back in the mid 90s um you know and uh you know uh, my my first knowledge of you in terms of football was when you did a, a benefit gig for my club and you know mm. I, i'll be honest you know, you know for a palace fan to do a benefit gig for the club that he hates is you know I, I still my hat is still permanently doffed to you in that I, I've, I've chased our former chief executive around Chester car park when I saw <laughs> him um before a match <laughs> along along with along with a series of expertise and, and I shouldn't have done that particular one um uh, because that would that would not have ended well uh, if I'd caught him um but uh yeah yeah that's that's the the nature of football is a very emotional game. You know, my my advice to, to the Oldham fans: keep it smart, keep it funny, keep it idiosyncratic, but still make sure that the owners are aware that they they are unhappy. Uh, that, that you know the fans the fans are unhappy with the way that the club is being run at present, um, and you know, you're more likely to to get support from you'll get support from other fans. Yeah, regardless. But if you want to get support from the media, just 
you know, they, 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 the smart, the smart things tend to go down well because it's, it's, it's a story that the media will pick up on. Yeah. And the, as far as I'm concerned, the fans already occupy the, the moral high ground. So just, just stay there. Basically, you, 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 that's half the battle won. It's, it's interesting that picture. Though. We did the um, five year plan podcast yesterday. And I won't bore you with the context, but it, it, we ended up discussing discussing fans taking direct action and going on the pitch. And uh, I was the oldest person on yesterday's panel by quite some time. And and the three other young people went, "No, I've never never been on the pitch. I can't imagine any situation where you'd go on the pitch unless you were a mascot. No, that's terrible." <laughs> I was just sitting there going, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> yes. yeah, there was a time in the eighties. I spent more time on the pitch than off it. <laughs> um, so that's Oldham. The co-chairman of Barnsley, Paul Conway, has claimed that his club is one of the few who don't bend financial fair play rules. Is he? Is he making a general point here? Is he specifically taking aim at clubs? he doesn't like why is he why has he felt the need to say this at this time Kieran um yeah the, uh, Paul Conway uh he, he doesn't talk to the media that often but when he does he's uh yeah he, he gets his guns lined up and he he starts lobbing them uh, starts lobbing the bullets so uh, he, he started off with a uh, an assessment of the home office which he described as a joke and Amateur Hour, which is one of my favourite singles of all time by Sparks, um, and anybody knows what that song's about, we'll, uh, we'll, we won't go down that particular rabbit hole. Um, in with regards to visa delays for, for for players that Barnsley were recruiting, Barnsley are using a uh, an analytics, a money ball style approach, I believe, to to player recruitment. Um, and then he turned his attention to financial fair play. Now, now in a couple of years ago, he threatened to sue the EFL uh, if there were not points deductions for uh, Birmingham City, Sheffield Wednesday, and another club in the championship at the time, whose name I forget, uh, but may play in white shirts and uh, dark shorts. Um <laughs> But that that didn't appear to come to anything, um, and and he has said that the present uh, FFP rules uh, allow clubs to cheat due to uh, a lack of enforcement. And he compared the the championship to La Liga. I've I've got to be honest here. Um, I don't think it's a case of they're allowed to cheat. The the EFL has has limited resources. You know, it, it it can't afford a team of. He said, you know, you look at La Liga. La Liga have got twenty accountants who are constantly monitoring uh, the the spending and the budgets of football clubs. Well, the EFL doesn't have the money to do that, and and that's you know, if if, if you if you if you can't afford a policeman, crime will be committed. Um, you know, on, on a broader thing, he he also was. Uh, you know, he was saying that the average wage in the championship is around about 15 grand a week. That ties in with my figures. But Barnsley, they're paying 5K a week um, and, and they're, they're broadly trying to break even. He says, yeah, why, why aren't other clubs doing the same? It's because the club owners want to get into the Premier League and they know that by spending money, that's, that's one way of achieving that objective. So I'm, I'm not defending the approach taken by other owners, but that's... That that's where they're coming from. They they know it's football's a talent game, uh, and if you if you pay to the talent, you increase your chances. But there's no guarantee, of course, because only three clubs can go up. Um, 
but you know, if you take a look at the championship this summer, uh, there's there's eight clubs who have who did not pay any transfer fees at all for new players. You know, they've they've relied on loans, Bosmans, academy players, players out of contract, and so on. Mm. I've never had you down as a Sparks fan, Kieran. I have to say. Oh, love Sparks! Yeah, no, couldn't take. Yeah, them. yeah, very, very yeah. arty. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind that particular song because it had a very clever rhyme for Yehudi Menuhin, <laughs> <laughs> who, as all our listeners will know, was a world famous violinist in the seventies and eighties, uh, and the subject of one of my favourite jokes at the time. Eric Morgan saying, "What's what's happened to your violin?" I've I've still I've had to use the old one because I gave you Hoodie Minouin. Um, <laughs> that's that's just for you, Martin Shaw. Um The the FAs of Bangladesh, the Maldives, Nepal, and Sri Lanka have all come out in favour of a World Cup every two years. And I noticed that Gareth Southgate this week said he wouldn't particularly be against it. This why is this idea suddenly gained traction just in the last? week or so, why would the FIFA want a biannual World Cup money, presumably? But um, Yeah, the, the original suggestion came from the Saudi Arabian Football Association, who are very keen to host the, the World Cup at some point in the future. Now, if you think that we've got the World Cup, FIFA World Cup taking place in Qatar mm. in uh, 2022, realistically... Uh, you know, I, I don't think it would be. We're probably talking 2040, where it before it's likely to return to you know the Middle East area. Mm. So you you can see that from from the Saudi perspective, you know that is potentially too long a period to wait. If we take a look at these countries that have come out in favour of the the World Cup place taking place every two years, um, I, I don't think it's harsh to say that their chances of qualifying for the finals are. Not great, even in an expanded competition. You know, mm. Potentially, we're, we're moving to a 48-nation competition. Um, but it, but you know, if, you, if you take a look at their FIFA rankings, they, they'd still be punching above their weight if they did qualify. So, so why are they so keen? Well, um, if you take a look at FIFA's finances, it loses money three years out of every four, and mm. fourth just happens to be when the uh, FIFA World Cup takes place. You know, if, if anybody can remember who won the Confederations Cup in 2017, they're, they're a better person than I. Um, offhand, I, I do know it, of course, because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, so, do I, so do I, Kieran, but for the benefit of those people listening, who Spain? I think it was Germany. Oh, Germany, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, the... the FIFA distribute money to all of its member nations on an annual basis, and they that distribution includes a bonus normally if they've had a profitable World Cup year. Yeah, so if they're now if they've now got a competition which is going to be profitable one year in every two, as opposed to one year in every four, there's a lot of money now going to you know, the Maldives, Nepal the Cook Islands, yeah, and, and so on. So you can see why these smaller nations, it's in their interests as, as well as the interests of the likes of Saudi Arabia who want to host the World Cup for it to take place on a more regular basis. So we've seen, seen Arsene Wenger now make this suggestion along with um, effectively having the, the internationals taking place twice a year um 
and you know, whether that would be over a two-week or three-week period, you, know, you might have one in October and one one in March, which is solely devoted to internationals, and the rest of the the rest of the year is is allocated to, to club football. Um, the, yeah, we know football players are well remunerated, but there's in danger of killing the goose which which lays the golden eggs which is which is the talent um when exactly are they supposed to have a break mm. because at present we've got the euros taking place every 4 years the world cup taking place every 4 years if you've now got a world cup taking place on on a two year basis you've also got the confederations cup the year before the world cup um, you've got FIFA wanting an expanded World Club Championship mm-hmm. taking place as well. Um, you're, you're, the, the players are going to, you know, they, they are they, they're not they're not animals that you can just break the backs of. Um, and regardless of how much they're paid, that they are professional athletes. Don't don't try to try to extract the last piece of uh, money out of them through having more and more fixtures. So the fixture list has to be looked at. And what do we have up on the horizon? We've got an expanded Champions League with mm. more matches taking place. You know, so domestically, um, internationally, it's uh, it, it's a mess. Mm. <clears throat> of course, if you have a World Cup every two years, Kieran, then that's double the amount of countries that you need to host, which mm-hmm. is double double the amount of schmoozing money for FIFA from those countries who want the World Cup. Um, I, I'm, 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 I would never say that FIFA, FIFA is a mafia organisation riddled with corruption and former executives who have been banned from the game um, because that would be wrong. Uh, because that would mean imply that you know, they they might be financially benefiting from such things in the future. And we we all know that the the Russian and the Qatar World Cups were were, were chosen for for football reasons. If you would never say that, Kieran, who's that bloke I've been doing a podcast with who bangs on about it all the time? <laughs> you mean you'd never say it? <laughs> That's the sort of thing I accidentally say if I'm having a discussion with my. And even as I'm saying it, I'm thinking oh, I've said the wrong thing here, haven't I? Um, <laughs> You know, I find interesting, even as England made heavy weather of beating Andorra 4-0, they had the discussion, uh, the commentator and Lee Dixon talking about, you know, should Andorra even be playing the likes of England, etc., which, of course, they should. It's the World Cup. Mm. They're in in the world. But it it, it often strikes me, if you are going to have another tournament, then one in which Andorra, Bangladesh, the Maldives and Nepal can play each other because I, I think they are players that would happily play. You know, these are players that a lot of them are, are amateur or semi-professional. If you had a tournament in which they could take part and possibly win, I'd be all for that. But I'm guessing FIFA wouldn't be able to make money out of uh, Bangladesh versus Andorra in a final of a tournament. So that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we do, we, we do have. Uh, so certain local tournaments, and it all comes down to ticket sales, commercial partners, and broadcast yeah, rights. Yeah, who's 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 going to pay for uh, Bangladesh versus the Cook Islands? Yeah. Last season's mysterious swap deal between Barcelona and Juventus continues to unravel. Yes, um, this is textbook uh, creative accounting by. Both of those clubs, they're, they're, the two players involved are Arthur and Pjanic, uh, who was a 30, 30 year old. I think he plays for Serbia or Croatia. Mm. Um, they, they they were involved in a swap deal between Barcelona and Juventus. And Arthur, who's you know decent, solid player, 
he went for a slightly eyebrow-raising £72 million from Barcelona <laughs> to Juve. And uh, Pjanic, who's, well, I, I, I was just gobsmacked. You know, he's, again, he's, he's an OK player. 30-year-old player, so no yeah, no real real sale value. He went for 60 million euros, which allowed both Barcelona and Juve to publish uh, uh, or to produce huge profits on the deal. Um, and uh, Pjanic is now out on loan 12 months later. So, yeah, he, he didn't... He, he didn't uh, uh, didn't make that, that much of an impression. Yeah, he played on on a, on a regular basis, but Barcelona didn't have a good season, um, and it, it comes as absolutely no surprise. And this is all to do with the you know, if in in a in a swap deal. Um, you know how much how much is the value of the player? Well, it, it's a bit like uh, you, you know you me selling you my book for a million quid, and you selling me your book for one point two million, mm. and we say, hey, we've just made an absolute fortune here. Mm. That's true. Um, <clears throat> it, it, that's not going to happen, is it, Kieran? Uh, not today. Oh, okay. Uh, if I, well, if I, if I'd need to sell you mine first to get the money to buy yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, you have such credibility and integrity, Kieran. I was momentarily panicked by the thought that how am I going to tell Ali this? What? Why have you got another copy of Kieran's book? Oh, it cost me a million quid. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a rare unsigned version. Yeah, <laughs> it's a rare copy of Kieran's book not seen in the background of any BBC interview. Uh, I love our final story, Kieran, uh, for reasons that you'll discover. Um, Froome Town's winner car draw had to be stopped after one person submitted thousands of entries. Yes, yeah, and, and this, <laughs> this this is a hilarious story. It's also a very very sad one. Mm-hmm. Um, Froome Town, like many clubs in in uh, in the lower leagues, desperate to raise money, and therefore they uh, they, they organised a uh, a prize draw where the first prize was a Sanyong Tivoli mm. um, as a car, apparently. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's got four wheels. So, you know, uh, so so it wouldn't necessarily be many people's first choice, but it, but it's a car and it's 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 you know it, it satisfies you know, it satisfies that for many people. Um, but if you are having uh, a prize draw, it is a legal requirement that you have to allow not just. Paid entries and and the uh, and what Froome Town had done is it said if you make a five pound donation that money will be split between the club and local food banks and they they got four hundred and fifty people had entered they were starting to raise some decent money mm. and then somebody turned up outside the club's office um, with two thousand postcards because you have to allow this free entry option mm. as an alternative. Um, so yeah, they hadn't even bothered to post them because yeah, clearly you know, it's, it's, it's the price of a first class stamp these days is outrageous. Oh, tell me about it. it. It's, it's it's about eighty or ninety pence. It's absolutely shocking. I, mm. I remember, yeah, I remember the good old days of my stamp collecting, and that this the, I'm sure you've fallen off your chair knowing that I was a stamp collector. <laughs> where, where, where the, you know, when when the price of a first class stamp went up from two and a half pence to three and a half pence, and that was outrage. I was outraged at the time. Um, Kieran, can I sorry, Kieran? Can I suggest that you you may have got stamp collecting wrong? 
I'm oh, really? pretty sure I'm pretty certain there's more to stamp collecting than just buying first class stamps and putting them in a, an album. <laughs> You're supposed to go for stamps from other countries as well. Just yes. buying, we could all just buy a stamp and put that. Oh, what's that one? It's a first class English. No, okay. <laughs> right. So anyway, so this person turns up with two thousand postcards. Yes, and and of course, they, they legally they have to accept them. But as yeah. soon as word got round, yep, yeah, they uh, it, it meant, of course, that. Those people who were going through the donation route, when when, when this went public, they're saying, "Well, what's the point of us giving us a uh, put, you know, putting in for a five pounds as a donation with a with a small chance of a winning when that is practically going to be a zero chance?" And some schmuck ha- has completely abused the the principle behind this draw, um, and, and therefore the clubs had to cancel the competition. Has refunded all the people that have put in the five pound donations so the food bank has lost out as well um and it's it's a bit of a sorry story it is a sorry story kieran i i almost regret saying that i love it at the start the reason i love it and and i i've spoken to my friends about this and nobody employed at crystal palace football club now was employed at crystal palace football club when this happened so i feel i feel i can share this story with you kieran. back in uh, 1987 palace had a uh, an ongoing season-long competition where you could, uh, for a certain amount of money, put your name in a drawer and you could win a car. It was a larder. You could win a larder. So we all got a syndicate together, four of us, and lo and behold, amazingly, towards the end of the season, we, we won the car. We won oh, the wow. larder. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, whereupon we, we all went down to the to the club, to the office, and uh, the chap, the employee of the club, went... Uh, Sit down, lads. This is a little little bit awkward. Can we um, <laughs> can we offer you the cash value of of the car? And one of we well, no, no, because yeah, he wants he, he really needs a car. So we've decided that he can have that. He said, well, the thing is, we don't actually own the car. <laughs> so we said, what? Well, I said, well, what? Well, the car's been sitting on the touchline for the, every every home game all season. He said, yeah, but we didn't think anybody would win it. Oh, we. we <laughs> We th- we thought we had enough enough fans. We took a punt that nobody would ever win, um, and we we don't, it's not our car, basically. Um, so they offered us they offered us a cash equivalent, which we um, which we gratefully accepted. Uh, which is why there was a photograph. Of, I'll send it to you. There's a photograph of us on the pitch, standing by the car, grumpily holding up one of those giant cardboard checks that Paul's winners used to get. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, brilliant. I know. So I don't know. It's like, where did you? It's my mate said, "Why don't you use the money you give us instead of giving us the cash equivalent? Use that to buy the car." Uh, yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went, "No, well then we won't have a car for next year's draw." <laughs> so, 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 anyway, that's the that's so, Froome Town Crystal Palace feels your pain. Um, thank you, uh, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free-to-air pod, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have any questions for our regular Monday questions pod, then please email them to questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Kieran McGuire for his customary farewell. Um, Well, once again, folks, thanks for the feedback. Uh, If you uh, do enjoy the show and uh, if you want to support us in any way, we... Patreon is great. The other way of doing it is to uh, go on to the, the that big purple Apple icon, uh, follow us there, and if you can give us five stars on a review, um, it, it helps the business side of things. According to 
producer guy. You can say whatever you want. You could say the show would be far better with Romesh and Julia Hartley Brewer as the <laughs> presenters. I, I'd, I'd listen to that. Um, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, Kieran, that came out of the blue. That was very, that was very <laughs> random. And it's, uh, it, it helps us in the charts and it helps us to, uh, it helps us negotiate with, uh, with people who, who are guests on the show and so on. Uh, other than that, look after yourselves and take care. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Some football.